You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean, and we're actually joined by a special guest, Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports and Empire of the Suns. Kellen, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right tonight. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts first. We saw with, with Woj, he just tweeted it about 30 minutes ago, was his reaction and his news breaking of the Mike James two-way contract. And they said that no move's been officially made, but he will be on the roster tomorrow. And they probably said that a move will be made coinciding around shoot-around tomorrow morning. So what's your overall thoughts on that, Kellen? And what's your overall prediction with that? I think a trade's going to happen with Monroe or Chandler? Or do you think they're just going to waive DJJ? Uh, I would be highly surprised if it was anything besides DJJ getting waived. Uh, this was something that McDonough has even like openly talked about in terms of James coming back. I don't. Uh, it's definitely news that he is he is getting a contract, but this is something that we knew was coming for quite a while, and it was just a matter of it actually happening and not being a formality, uh, if we were to say it that way. So I didn't really have much of a reaction to it at all. I think my reaction will more come to when the move is made to see who is gone. I wouldn't rule out a trade just because you can't rule anything out. But, I mean, everyone should be expecting Derek Derek Jones Jr. to get waived. Kind of once Josh Jackson got drafted, his fate was kind of sealed in terms of him not being able to see any long-term development, at least on this roster. And overall, uh, Kellen, as well, I might as well dive into it right away because we we all all three saw it last night, was DeAndre Ayton versus Robert Williams, Valley of the Sun shootout. And what was your overall takeaway from that? Because for me, it was DeAndre Ayton looked far and away the superior prospect of Robert Williams on really both ends, and shouldn't be that surprising. And I think for me, he's kind of I'm, I'm more I'm more ahead of you guys than Bagley. I mean, I, I'm Bagley with two on my board. I think you have eight and two on your board. But what's your overall thoughts on Ayton? And what was your thoughts from his performance last night? Um, I thought Ayton played. Okay, I thought he was fine. It was just a really weird game because it was a very college basketball type of game where it was pretty defensive and that sort of way where he wasn't really going to show out in any certain situation. Like, he didn't have this dominating performance. Tyler Davis was probably the best overall player in that game uh, on Texas A&M, but Aiden certainly flashed what is good and bad about him. I mean, up close, we were all sitting, all three of us were sitting courtside and the thing about that to me was we just saw how much of an athletic freak the guy is and seeing him move up and down the court and the thing about that is it pops it really pops when you watch him move and just the way that he glides up and down the court at a man of his size because of course his like muscle and his frame really stands out up there and that's the thing to me that popped out the most Uh, watching Aiden, but watching Williams, I think, to me, you saw him move defensively and saw the potential there. I just don't know what he is anywhere else. I think he needs to become a better rebounder in order for him to kind of become that player archetype of this massive defensive type of player. And he had a really lackluster opening 15 minutes or so that kind of showed the Dragon Bender effect, if we want to call it that, where if he's not really impacting the game defensively he's not going to be able to really impact the game anywhere else uh but i I, just looking at the two guys compared it's obvious and even looking at something like aiden versus bagley aiden is the guy that has the skill right now williams is not as 
more talented by any means, but that's kind of the comparison you get out where Aiden has the skill and those two guys, Williams in particular, are lacking the sort of skill. Before I dive into my rebuttal real quick, Brendan, do you, I'm going to try your audio real quick. You can try it. Yeah, can you hear me at all? Oh, awesome. Yeah, there you go. There. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I saw when I was like typing it, the little green thing was moving, so I was like, I feel like it's working. All right, let's yeah, go. For, for those of you listening, I was reading the chat this whole time that Brendan was trying to figure out his audio, so if I sounded like I was repeating myself, that's because I was trying to like read that and talk at the same time so there you go a little behind the scenes info yeah right, there brendan. yeah brendan magically appears on the podcast right, here we go um i mean i think the, the game was weird definitely we all agree on that it wasn't like a big crazy eight performance it's like we've seen a few times already early in the year but actually you know i hate to go back and like let what the coach said affect my view of the game but one thing that I just haven't been able to shake since hearing Sean Miller's comments post game last night were, uh, you know, he really was the fact that, that Aiden doesn't turn the ball over and, and been trying to factor that into the way that I was seeing yesterday's game because against a crazy good defensive team like a M um, with, with Davis and Williams down there kind of controlling Aiden quite a bit, just the fact that he was able to, uh, you know, not crumble under that. Um, impresses me more and more as I kind of went back and looked at the highlights and watched some of the uh, the bigger moments of the game. He made a couple. He made a pass to Ristich late in the fourth quarter that I thought was nice and just shows like a level of understanding acting from him. And then uh, from Williams, it's just those we had four last night and the one you tweeted Evan where he uh, rotated out onto Dylan Smith on the perimeter and. And just shuffled into the lane and then smacked it. Those kinds of plays you can't really teach, and so it was impressive to see him in person, of course. But just kind of cemented where I was uh, as far as his defensive prospects. I know this is kind of a early comparison for him so far, but my first impression with with Robert Williams was kind of Marquise Chris on the surface. He's very raw as far as offense goes, but. His defensive tools are there. I mean, it's probably at least a lot more advanced than Chris is at the moment than when he was at Washington. But, Brent, is that a fair comparison to you? Because I feel like he's not really going to offer you what he can on offense that Chris could, but I think he's far and away the better rim protector at the moment. be a better finisher than Chris. I mean, he's not going to shoot threes, but he has the frame to, you know, bang around down there a little better than Chris look at this point so I'm optimistic about that and then defensively I mean I think you'd hope he could do more than block shots but at the very least yeah it looks like you know maybe as far as an archetype goes out as far as the defensive profile yeah I probably lean along those lines as well I mean he has a lot of tools that could be had there's obviously a lot of executives there Ryan McDonough Pat Connolly Trevor Buckstein they were all there courtside last night they got a good good seat as far as the Aiden versus Williams show. I came away pretty impressed with Williams as far as offense go or his defense goes. I'm sorry, but his offense, as we all three know, is rather raw at the moment. I mean, Kellen, for you with this Aiden Williams matchup, I mean, was there anything that you expected out of it coming into it? I mean, that's probably Aiden's first real challenge of the season, right? I mean, outside of Isaac Haas and Harms at Purdue. Yeah, I think that's the thing you want to see with a guy like Aiden because his physical profile and just the way he physically dominates. He's going to physically dominate guys in the NBA. He's not just going to physically dominate kids in college. So I think seeing him go up against an NBA caliber big 
and Williams. I don't think it really would have mattered if, even if we would have gotten a matchup of Davis and Aiden, I still would have been maybe not as excited, but still pretty excited because I just want to play, see him play against those NBA caliber bigs. That's kind of what we saw um, in that game, but it wasn't a matter of, like Brendan kind of said, it was just a weird game and it never. Brendan, did you even see a possession or two where it came down to them, like, squaring up against each other? Like, we didn't even really get that, right? I remember one post-up where Aiton was on the right block. Uh, it was when Arizona was scoring at, in the second half right, from where we were sitting. But I think he passed out of it or uh, tossed a little layup. But it wasn't like a, you know, I'm going to back you down. And, you know, it, it's silly. Like, that's not really how these things usually go. I think maybe we excited to be honest he did, yeah, uh, yeah miles bridges and josh jackson was one in the tournament last year where they were actually going at each other because they are two perimeter oriented players and they're two players that are like the focal points of their team so it made a little bit more sense then but these are still two younger guys and then williams especially with his offensive deficiencies are kind of not as involved as much so we didn't really get to see them in that facet but we still get still got to see them both make signature plays. Aiden had that big block, of course. He had that crazy lob where he somehow caught it in midair with his size and strength and made it look so easy with the finesse moves and stuff. But I think the one thing, um, Evan, you tweeted about this, and I like added something as a follow-up on it that we saw from this game more than anything, is that up close and personal, more than ever, you can see that Aiden just isn't engaged enough defensively. I think he wants to be, but he just stands there and just... I. I, there's no really other way, real way to describe it, right? He just stands there. There are times for him to be a rim protector, not even when he's on his man necessarily, just when he can provide secondary help or whatever. And he doesn't even try and put his hands up or go towards the play. He kind of just stands there with his arms down. It's really strange. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, we saw that time. We've seen it a lot so far for the season at Arizona with Aiden. But I was like, I was saying to Brendan, it seems like he's almost allergic to rim protection. I mean. From a comparisons perspective so far, I mean, is it fair to say that, like, Ben Simmons at LSU, he's kind of just, like, going through the motions until he makes it to the pros, Colin? Uh, no, because I think you see Aiden actually doing the perimeter stuff a little bit, and you see him actually engaged is the word we keep using, but he's he is engaged defensively. I, I think Simmons was just coasting the entire time, and he makes – he is the central argument for how random defense is because – I had Sixers people all over me when I was I was that dumb person who ranked Ingram over Simmons for the draft. And I had people all over me saying in high school and like these hoop summit things, he was locked in defensively and was locking up some of the better players in his class. And I was just like, I don't know how else you can. It was just too much at LSU when he was coasting. And he proved how random defense can be because he's legitimately good for the Sixers right now on that end. And with Aiden, I think we just see that he's there, he's trying, he's hustling, he has to under Sean Miller. But I think that I, it's, it's a weird thing that we're not going to be able to like explain, but he just stands there. So in that way, it is Ben Simmons-esque in that he's not quote-unquote trying, but I don't think it's that. I just think maybe he's too scared to foul. Is there any way you can really read into that, Brendan, and figure out what exactly is going on there? He's not used to his frame or what exactly it is. I mean, the, I think I counted, I didn't really count it maybe four or five times in the first half where he neither contested the shot at the rim or boxed out his man. 
and I think from what I just could tell in that second half, he was a little better. Uh, he was playing more aggressively when he was matched up against Davis just because I think Davis was having a really nice game and he's a bigger guy. But um, there's really no excuse for that. If I understand if, if your instinct isn't to protect the rim and jump up for those blocks every time and there's a value to getting defensive rebounds and being in the right place for that stuff, um, it's not necessarily the thing he should be doing, but I would at least understand if that was the game plan or if that's just where he felt most comfortable. But when he's doing neither, uh, that, and that in my mind is is where you start to worry. Pick and roll coverage, I was trying to see as much as, you know, really wasn't running like an NBA-style offense by any means last night, but there were a couple times when they got Williams going to this kind of floating into space, and uh, Aiton is glancing between the, the roll man and the ball handler. You know, kind of like a deer in the headlights look on a couple possessions that made me worried, but um, like I said, there wasn't enough of a sample size in this one game to really say struggle there it's just uh you know he's so strong he can just body up on guys when they're rolling to the rim and control it that, that way and learn that that's what i was expecting and he just looked kind of like he didn't have a plan a thing for me that i took away as well with aiden from a positive standpoint was his foot speed i mean up close it was pretty crazy for me to see a guy move that's seven feet and has that kind of frame and really his put in the post too he has those kind of moves like mb mb like almost is it fair to say that he's that next almost unicorn type? I mean, we throw it around a lot, but a unicorn type big that could stretch it from three and also bang around inside really that MB really couldn't do. And he, he's still trying to develop, but Brent, you can go first and Kellen on that. I think have right now develops into something real, then if you can combine that feel for passing with the post game and then the defensive abilities and the, we'll see if the feel gets there eventually you're in the making of, of a player similar to those guys but right now I he's a typical offensively talented big you know he has more of a face-up game than like you know Jaleel book for somebody he's not as simple as, as a post guy like that but I don't think he has the varied skill set to be called anything those guys yet yeah I I agree with Brendan the UNLV game was the closest we got to that the highlights from that game were insane he had this like spin move where he finished with his left hand where you were like whoa what was that uh so he has he has his moments but I think the big thing for him is going to be his jump shot because something like that where he shoots the ball on a line drive uh he has a really quick release and it looks good but he shoots it on a line drive and I just worry about the consistency when you add more there's not many shots where you look at them and worry about increasing the range to NBA three. But I look at his with the line drive and I worry about his consistency from three beyond that. So I think that's the first thing that he has to address. And I believe he's shooting 29, 30% from three this year in college. It's more of a mid range, like a knockdown, knockdown mid range jumper than it is anything like stretching beyond the three and then handling the ball. We haven't seen a ton of it. And that's just like, there are certain check marks that he has to hit, and I think Brendan hit the nail on the head by pretty much saying that he's very talented and he's very skilled uh, as far as like a post player and can really do a lot there, but that doesn't really extend to the point where you can see him being able to pretty much do all these perimeter player type things um, as a seven-footer, but don't let that downplay the fact that 
he's an incredible talent and a really great prospect for the draft. Uh, like Evan said, I have him number two right now, and I think he's going to be a guy that stays in the top three throughout, and I think he's going to be a top three pick this year. Before we dive into the big news of the day, obviously, with the MRI results of Devin Booker, Kellen, I wanted to get your quick thoughts. I wanted to ask you this last night, but I didn't get a chance to, with Mo Bamba and Jaron Jackson Jr. Those are two guys that have stood out to you in possible negative and positive ways so far. I just want to get your quick update on those two guys over the last few weeks, and what have you seen out of those two guys as far as their potential? Yeah, Mo Bamba has been a little bit disappointing so far at Texas. I haven't seen a ton of him, but I've seen a fair bit enough to kind of just say that I've been a little bit disappointed with the way he's looked. Uh, the thing that I wrote about uh, when I when I looked into him was that I could see myself moving him down if it came down to his energy lacking on both ends of the floor. And that's what we've seen. We've seen a fair bit of him floating too, but it's hard to see how he finds a consistent role offensively. So with that, you're really, really relying on his defense to be top-notch. And for me, he needs to have that motor at least to kind of move around the way. Like Marvin Bagley has an excellent motor. He can really look after that. Jaron Jackson has a really good one as well. He kind of does some DeAndre Aiden things, and that is discouraging for a guy you're looking to become really that signature defensive player for your team. So I'm not incredibly down on him necessarily. I just had him at number two heading into um, heading into the season. I think I would have him down a couple more spots, maybe like four or five, depending on uh, how I feel on a certain day. Uh, Jaron Jackson, just more of the same. I think he looks great. I think he is the guy you look at in terms of the most upside and the most unfinished product that has shown. is still showing a lot of signs and really being – uh, the two-way type of player that he looks to be, despite how at first glance he might just be the shot-blocking energy type guy. But he has a lot there offensively as well that has really stood out to me. And I think he's pretty much um, a guy who was looking like a top 10, maybe uh, somewhere in the top 10. But I think to me, he's a lock now to get selected in the top 10. I know it's really early to say stuff like that, but I think with what he's shown already, he's at least a top 10 pick and like people have been saying since the start of the season the Stepien guys have been all over this that he's a dark horse to be in the top five and I agree with that yeah I'm obviously high on both those guys too I have Bamba right now four on my board and Jackson six and Brendan I want to get I don't think we've had you on to have your thoughts on Bamba or Jackson so far what's your thoughts on those two prospects yeah I, I need to go back and watch the the Duke Texas game I think that's what I want to watch to kind of cement how I feel and into the you know the next part of the college season but um jackson surprised me with his ability to make the shot on the offense and then he's continued to do what he's expected to do on defense he had eight blocks last night so i mean if you're looking for a defensive game changer to sort of try to tie it back to the suns they are obviously in the market for that kind of player with the uncertainty around the front court so um those events you know kind of had an eye on just from that perspective but uh no they're both incredibly impressive and it's wild that they're both in the same draft yeah definitely i mean this class i wrote about today i feel like this class gives me a little bit of vibes of 2003 if all these guys hit their potential obviously with bomba porter bagley Doncic, and even ayton as well all those guys have really big star potential with me but Let's dive in real quick to the Devin Booker news today. The MRI results came out. GM Ryan McDonough unveiled on Burns and Gambo that Devin Booker's likely out for two to three weeks with a strained left adductor, which is near his pelvis area. Kellen, what's your 
thoughts on how that, I mean, obviously the Suns, their efficiency nosedives off when Booker's off the court ever since the Watson firing and the Bledsoe trade. He's obviously carried a 30% usage low since then, but how do you think this team's going to look without their main guy out there? Because I feel like it's going to be They're going to be miserable. Ugly They're going to suck. Yeah. It's going to be really bad. It's going to be really, really bad. Uh, I hope that they can kind of take the energy and the effort that they've played with consistently throughout the year. Well, not consistently. That's funny that I use the word consistent because it's been inconsistent. They've just had those games where they've gotten absolutely destroyed, and those are the games they're looking to avoid right now. But um, with Booker, I think where you look at this potentially for me, it's I think it's less about the team playing poorly and going 1-7, 0-8, whatever happens during this game run. And I look at it as, can this be an opportunity for someone like Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, Josh Jackson, one of those three younger guys to kind of get more involved in the offense and get more comfortable? Josh Jackson obviously is the guy that I would like to see it from the most, considering he's going to be the guy to get the boosted minutes. But I think Marquise Chris is a guy that they could look to run a little bit more for, get him more involved in the offense. Bender, of course, is still getting there. But one of those three guys, to me, I think Troy Daniels obviously going to see an elevated role. I wouldn't be surprised to see Greg Monroe starting from here on out just because they need another offensive option. Uh, but to me, that's where I look at this and say, hopefully those young guys can take these 8 to 10 games and get more comfortable in the offense so they can become the third, fourth option, whatever, uh, this season to me. But, yeah, they are going to be very bad. It's not going to be fun to watch the Suns for the next two weeks. Brendan, what do you think on that? I mean, I feel obviously that I, I tweet about earlier that Jackson's the one I feel needs to step up. He's obviously the one McDonald's put his chips all around. He was the one that was the obviously the the person that said no to Kyrie trade. That was the main thing that was holding it up was Jackson. So he's really you're really panning and hoping on Jackson developing into that two way wing down the line. That's going to be a stud for the Suns alongside Booker, but. Brendan, what's your overall reaction to the Booker news, and how do you how do you feel like the team's going to do after this? Yeah, the, so my initial thing was, was after the game last night, we were walking, and I was thinking, you know, this is a nice way to buy some two weeks worth of losses and and kind of pad your lottery hopes. That's uh, not the greatest way to consider it, but it is nice. I mean, you don't have to do any sort of trickery like you did at the end of last year to get these, you know six or seven losses so that'll be nice um as far as the lottery goes and then um as far as the lineups break out i think it wouldn't be surprising to me added time for guys like daniels and monroe maybe uh, and bordo tweeted earlier today that he expects dudley to get some extra time that wouldn't surprise me either. you know those three guys and uh kind of get some time and are able to pad their trade value maybe that helps down the line too so going to be gruesome to actually watch what happens on the court if Jackson doesn't you know turn it up to another level we haven't seen but it might help a lot of these other kind of secondary office kind of get pushed along a little bit uh, especially as we get past that December 15th deadline where a lot of the guys who signed over the summer are eligible to be traded that opens up a lot of uh, windows for especially Monroe. I think that's sort of been the holdup is teams maybe are interested in a guy like him that can score and pass out of the post, but not until they have their full uh, roster of guys to trade. So um, I think all three of those guys could end up being moved and probably will end up being moved eventually. So maybe this just, you know, gives teams a better look at them. Now, Kellen, this obviously 
isn't what was supposed to happen with the Suns. This is one of the worst case scenarios as far as the next six ten games but go. But just to see this guys like Jackson, Bender and Chris get those extra sort of usage rates going and really seeing for McDonough and the front office obviously the value they bring. Because, I mean, those two guys are in their second year. Jackson's a top five pick in this draft. I mean, you have to at least see what you have with those guys right now, right? Yeah, I don't think you're necessarily going to throw them in and have them take 18 shots a game or whatever. But I think this is a nice opportunity to kind of throw aside and kind of look at wins and losses in a different way now just because you kind of expect the team isn't going to go out there expecting to lose every night, but they're going to be looking at game planning a little bit differently. They're going to do their best to win, but I don't think they're going to have 20 shots a game for Greg Monroe or anything. I mean, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world for them to do that because they're willing to do anything, uh, it seems like. But to me, that's the overall opinion I would have on the whole thing, like you said, is to kind of see where you can go with those young guys, integrate guys like Dudley, like Brendan said, and figure out where you can best take this situation which is tough it's it's a really tough situation they found themselves in because this is really the only way for the season to go wrong was for booker to get hurt and we're here for at least two to three weeks so we'll see how it goes i for one am not looking forward to it yeah, brendan what what gonna need some yeah. more playmaking for sure so i uh, wouldn't be surprised if monroe's extremely involved in the offense that could be a way to kind of have Bender take on a, a bigger role is to see what he – we've really never seen him operate the offense in any way. So, so uh, you know, maybe that's just optimistic for me because I'd love to see what he can do. But, you know, why if not now, when? I mean, obviously for me the defense with Monroe is obviously suspect, but I feel like with him out there, I mean, especially with Bender too, I feel like the offense flows a lot better, doesn't it? I mean, he's – I think he's one of their best passing bigs. Oh, I mean, it, it yeah, does. Yeah, it's probably like the... Yeah, go ahead, Brendan. Go ahead. All right, Kelly, you can go okay. right ahead. All set. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> Sorry. The three-way is always uh, tricky. Okay, so um, I think I think the, the ball movement is there, but you need Bender to be confident with the ball. You can't have him hesitate shooting threes, hesitate driving to the rim. That's gone away a fair bit this year but it still needs to continue to not be a thing, period. So for him to step into a legitimate role offensively, which is something I think we would all like to see at one point in one of these games, is to see him actually have a couple of um, situations where they do run stuff for him, which they've done every now and then, and sometimes it hasn't turned out so great. Most of the time, in fact, it hasn't turned out so great. Other times it's been okay, but he needs to be confident with it and make the right decisions and not consistently screw them up because that's what he has to prove as a young player that he's over these yips that he has and he's able to contribute in a positive way when they're going to look to extend his role and that's something to look out for like you said and brennan what's your what's your takeaway for that yeah i mean i was just gonna say that um i like the third or fourth best passer on the team in rep so uh, I think he makes things a lot easier without Booker. I can't imagine the offense will be good with anybody on the floor, but I think it'll be uh, pretty terrible if uh, Leonard Chandler are on the floor without extreme spacing around them. So I would, yeah, like I said, Monroe kind of in my mind needs to be on the floor as much as possible. He should continue to start and uh, 
while also making it easier for everyone else. I mean, I, I don't want Troy Daniels on the court for, you know, the minutes Booker was getting by any means. Creative, and I think the best way is just to free, see what he can do, and give him the, as big a role as he can handle. Now, I know obviously Booker's carried a huge workload over the past month or so, but is this like a lesson for Triano as far as logging his minutes goes? Because I feel like him playing almost all the entire first half, playing almost 40 minutes the last three games, are they going to have him more on a restriction now as far as that goes? Because I feel like him playing down 15 points late in the fourth quarter, I know it's obviously could happen at any time, but I feel like it's kind of a blessing to have this happen now instead of later. I think it's easy to see it in the moment, but his minutes were actually down, and there were various moments throughout the season where it looked like he could have played Booker a couple more minutes and he could have gone to him much sooner than he was. I just think that he – I don't know. I I don't really know what happened, to be honest. It's very clear that Booker should not be playing 40 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back, but he's 21 years old. He should be able to do that. Young players are able to do that. So I wouldn't say it was a lesson because Triano's a very experienced coach and he knows what he's doing. True. Now, should Booker have played three to four less minutes that night? Probably, but it's it's three to four less minutes. It's easy for that stuff to get carried away sometimes. I know people are going to roast me for saying that and say, well, that's what happens when you lose track of three to four minutes, your star player gets hurt. I agreed with what Scott Bordeaux was saying today on Twitter that like it could have really happened at any point. Should he have been playing 40 minutes? No, but... He didn't get hurt because of that. We're never going to know if he got hurt because of that, but it's very likely that he wasn't. So to me, I think that it's not really a lesson, more so that it's just showing how delicate this current situation is, is that if Booker is gone or he's hurt, then this team goes from the state that it's in right now, which is pretty bad, to downright atrocious, which is what it's going to be for the next six games. I'm being really positive right now about this, but I'm sorry. There's no other really way to look at this roster situation right now other than atrocious because that's that's we what it is. Bring you on to deliver the bad news. Yeah, Mr. Pessimistic. That's what they call me. <laughs> now, we didn't have you on, Kellen, for our stock report episode, and we talked about Jay Trion for a little bit as far as his first 20 games went, but we haven't had you on to have your thoughts on that. How do you feel like Jay Trion has done as the head coach? He's been fine. He's been okay. Uh, I think that no matter what mistakes, quote-unquote, that he makes with the rotations or the starting lineups or whatever, the fact that he's gotten this team to play hard after a supposed players coach who had the back of the locker room and the locker room was really the only reason that it seemed like he got the job in the first place, for a team like that to not completely fold up shop, I know it's only three games into the season, but for a team not to fold up shop like that, um, for the remainder, remainder of the season under an interim coach is impressive, and I think that he has taken the team and put them in a good direction. I mean, they've had a lot of bright spots this year. I did not expect them to have nine wins at this point in the year. I think I would have picked mid to late January maybe for nine wins. Honestly, I thought it was going to be a disaster, but he's done really well, and the ball movement has had its moments as well. There was that three-game run where they had 28-28-31 assists. That was great. And the defensive effort has been there, but they've also just been horrible at times and making themselves memes on Twitter and everything. So I think he's been okay, but if you're looking for the answer of should they bring him back next year, absolutely not. They should not. They should go find their permanent head coach, interview a bunch of guys first, and then find their permanent head coach, Kof Kof, David Fisdale, and go from there. But I think that he's done fine. It was a very difficult position, and I think he's been pretty solid. Now, I know it's James Jones just got hired in July, but he's in second command behind McDonough now. He obviously has a lot of 
intel and a lot of connections around the league as far as players and coaches go. Cough, cough, Fizdale on that as well. But do you feel like his he's going to have a big say in the next hire alongside McDonough? Because I feel like really they'd have, they have to hit a home run hire with this because you have to have these guys develop and also to lead this, this next young group into a title contending team, hopefully, right? You would have to think with the position that he got that he would have that say. Uh, I have no idea. I don't think it's possible for really any of us to know without seeing what's going on behind sure. closed doors. He could be having absolutely no impact on anything, for all we know. Uh, but to me, with the um, the importance of his position and the relationship, like you said, he looks to and appears to be the number two behind McDonough. I would like to think that he has a, he has a say in the matter, and I think that his connections like you said could play a role and that's why he got this job he got this job because he's a very well-respected player around the league who has a ton of great relationships around the league and he's a very good basketball mind that's why he's in this spot right now and that's someone you always want to contribute to the conversation when you can so i expect him to obviously have a say in things and have uh, some sort of impact but at the end of the day it's always going to be McDonough's decision and then at the end of the day it's always going to be Robert Sarver's decision after it's McDonough's decision now Brendan you talked about it on a podcast with me earlier in the last couple of weeks but what's your overall takeaway as far as the prototypical coach for the Suns I, I think we we both mentioned Fisdale as a good name but do you feel like there's anyone out there or anyone like Jones or any really real connection out there that you feel like could be a really good fit with the Suns moving forward because for me I think it's Fisdale but what's your thought I would love Jeff Van Gundy to be the coach of the Suns, but (laughs) that's probably far-fetched. I think he's super comfortable doing what he's doing with the FIBA team and and broadcasting. Um, I think Monty Williams, I just want, you know, I think a guy like Watson probably makes a lot of sense for where this team is, but somebody who is going to bring basketball strategy into the conversation to a much higher degree than... uh, than Watson was able to with this team. So, I mean, uh, Williams, who's, you know, by all regards, one of the most well-respected guys in the NBA. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Fisdale, uh, you know, is a hitter, obviously, for Watson, but I think he is, you know, effective getting through to guys and uh, kind of no-nonsense, which I think would be good. So I, I want... You know, the first step is to have these guys build good habits and, and find their role. So, you know, we're not going to be bringing in some hungry championship coach that, you know, gets fired. Like Alvin Gentry is not coming back to Phoenix. Something like that's not going to be the right call. But one of these guys who was out of here, I think that's all you're really looking for. And, um, you know, Triano is doing a lot of that, and we're seeing what the effect somebody who's just focused on player development and building habits can do but he's just you know maybe not the right guy right now jumping back real quick on the booker i mean through his first 23 games 24 games he's put up some all-star numbers and say when he gets back around new year's eve he's right back to that production do you feel like with his standing right now i wrote a piece on this a couple days ago kellen but do you feel like his all-star ascension all of a sudden like a quick rise we didn't really expect all this this fast do you feel like this sort of accelerates his timeline to make his move, so to say, because with Booker already doing this at 21, do you feel like he needs to get that guy right now and make a push possibly next year for a playoff spot? Maybe pushes up a year? 
Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily buy that idea. I buy the idea that they needed to they need to at some point make this team better and add that quote unquote guy or just even add a couple of veterans that are a step or two above Tyson Chandler and Jerry Dudley and Leandro Barbosa at the time they were signed and got get guys that are capable of starting a ton of games and capable of contributing a lot positively. And I think that's where you look at Booker's overall rise right now and say that's where they need to go. Booker is going to sign the five-year deal. I have no doubt in my mind that he is going to sign the five-year extension. It's the, the deal that everyone signs, Anthony Davis, like there was rumblings there, but he signed it. And I really can't see any way that Booker doesn't sign it. So I don't think it puts any pressure on them there. I think it puts pressure on the fact that they're in a massive playoff drought right now and they've been terrible for a pretty long time now and they need to get better. So to me, I think the the thing that I've been saying for a while is you draft someone at point guard or center and you go get a big name or try to get someone at least that is very solid at the other position and then you try and go from there. And that's like your takeoff point to try and win 30, 35 games next year and then hopefully the Bender Chris Jackson like because I think we haven't seen it's a quarter of the way into the season. We haven't seen what we've wanted to from those three guys in terms of them being really difference makers next season. But I think two seasons down the line, because I don't think it really comes down to the move that they make. It comes down to how those three guys develop alongside Booker and how much they hit or miss on the next pick. I think that's really what matters more than making that quote unquote big move. I've seen the names you floated like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Clay Thompson. It's a nice thought. It's a nice thought. We can all, we can all dream on that, and it's not even a dream in some situations. Who knows what can happen between now and then because I don't like to speculate when it comes to like who's the next Kevin Love or James Harden, but you could be on the right track there with those names, and the Suns are obviously going to be in the conversation always because of their need for one of those guys and the amount of assets that they have. But for now, they're just going to sit and wait for that next whoever it is, like you said, Damian Lillard or Clay Thompson or Anthony Davis or Tamarcus Cousins. It looked like it could be Andre Drummond, but he's been amazing this year, so that's probably not happening anymore. But it's more about those young guys developing to me. And with that, to answer your question, then I don't really think that it accelerates the move at all. Yeah, Brandon, what do you feel on that stance? Do you feel like that timeline needs to be adjusted a year? Or are you on the same track with Kellen that the 2020 deadline that Sarver's brought up a lot is still the main tracking point? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's just, uh, like I said before, the more important that you nail the moves in the meantime but I don't think it accelerates anything because um, from Booker coming you know this was the piece already that you felt pretty certain about if we suddenly had Marquise Chris scoring 20 points a game or having an unbelievable rookie year maybe that kind of changes things because if you have Booker doing what he's capable of and then one of these guys jumping into that conversation as well then you're starting to put a team together this is just you know scenario for this booker season but still not out of the realm of possibly you were planning on operating this year so i just think you know the fact that he's a for sure uh offensive focal point then you know it just puts more pressure to kind of uh make sure those next few moves that kellen was talking about for sure and and uh, that they're done well and um, they just find talent more than anything. And 
real quick bouncing off of that, let's say over the next 10 games that the Suns finish around 2-10, and 10, or really, we really won't know how they finish until we see the results on the, on the court, obviously, but over the next 10 games, Kellen, we'll start with you first. I mean, what's going to be your main takeaway? I mean, we obviously think it's going to be some pretty ugly basketball, but anything you're looking forward to seeing, I mean, obviously outside of those three guys, I mean, TJ Warren's now going to be the number one option for the first time in a while. I mean, are you excited to see that? Yeah, I kind of am going to cop out and say the thing I'm most excited about to see is the younger guys in a bigger role, hopefully, uh, because I'm not that excited to see Greg Monroe score 20 points a game. Uh, I like watching Greg Monroe play. He's a fine player, but I think everyone wants to see the younger guys step up. It is an interesting point that you bring up, though, because TJ's had this roller coaster of his role that has continued. It's just gone up now instead of down because he was just kind of all over the place, couldn't figure out where he was, and now he's the number two guy or now he's the number three guy to open the season. Okay, now you're the number two guy. Oh, book goes down, now you're the number one guy. So I think that's an interesting point to bring up is that we haven't seen Warren as a number one yet. So it's going to be fascinating to see if defenses key up on him more. Like, is he going to be Mr. Backdoor Cut with him being the number one guy? I don't think he really can be. So I think they're going to be running even more for him with that in mind. So... I think you kind of already answered my own question for me, um, answered your own question for me in saying that I think Warren seeing how defenses react to him and how defenses react to the Suns in general, are they just going to make them shoot because they don't have shooters right now and they never really have. But even with Booker out, it's even more of an emphasis that you need spacing more for TJ Warren than you did for Devin Booker. So that's the one thing I'm going to be watching for, I guess, is seeing how other teams uh, respond. I mean, for me, I mean, I wouldn't start Jackson right now with obviously the lack of space and that both Warren and Jackson would bring. But do you want to see Jackson getting – I mean, obviously he'll get more minutes with Booker being out. But do you see Daniels as the guy that you run out with Warren over these next 10 games as far as spacing goes? Um, In terms of the starter, I think Daniels is going to start. Yeah, I yeah. think Daniels is going to start. They're going to bring Jackson off the bench still. Uh, but I don't think that's going to – diminish Jackson's role on this team because TJ is going to need even not need even more rest but since his role is going to be more important it's going to be more important for who comes in for him and who's playing alongside him uh, when the when he stays in the game and some of the other starters roll out so I think that's where Jackson comes into play but Daniels is going to play a lot of minutes people aren't going to like it but he's going to play a lot of minutes because he's a veteran and I mean he's not really a veteran because of the amount of total minutes he's played but he is the floor spacing and they desperately need floor spacing so unless Jerry Dudley's playing a lot of minutes which could still be the case I think we're going to see a lot of Troy Daniels and I think he's going to be starting too. So Brendan how would you shake out this guard rotation over the next 10 games? I mean we'll probably see Daniels get around 25 minutes Jackson around 25 30 I imagine what's your takeaway what would you do? Um, I think, I mean, what I was going to say as far as takeaways go, and I guess that sort of answers this, uh, I've been really impressed the past few weeks, honestly, with Tyler Ulysses performance. Uh, he was clearly just month or two of the year. So, um, I'm interested to see, especially with Booker taking up, uh, you know, no possessions for a while, then that gives a, a lot more opportunity to Ulysses to really control the offense and run things and, um, kind of develop a chemistry with the guys that he wasn't able to do earlier in the year and what he can he's um in, in his hands so um you know he's been showing a little bit more as a shooter 
receiver recently. Obviously, you had a lot of success penetrating. So, you know, if Daniels is the starter and, and kind of is able to keep things mostly normal as far as floor spacing goes in the and to kind of see if he was, can keep it up or even, you know, improve his production with, with Booker gone. But, I mean, I want, want to see, like I said, I've been saying it. I talk about it every day until Booker gets back. I just want to see Jackson as much as possible um, with Warren facing with, you know, three and Daniels and Chris or Bender out there and um, just use this time when it's pretty much lost games anyway to get the most out of the rookie yeah I definitely want to see Jackson gain at least 25 minutes a game consistently at this point with Booker being out and we really should see that so it'll be really interesting to see how that develops over the next 10 games like we've said but looking ahead toward the Wizards game we'll wrap it up with this but we have Bradley Beal he dropped 51 points against the Trailblazers last night without John Wall so it'll be the John Wallace Wizards going up against the Devin Booker Suns. Sons we'll start with Kellen here I mean anything you're looking forward to as far as that matchup goes uh, yeah, just kind of what we, well, more of what we've been talking about, and I think that's a good point to bring up is that this team has established perimeter options. Otto Porter as well is someone that's going to be on TJ Warren, I assume. So to me, it's it's more about where you can win in other areas of the court. John Wall being out is a huge, huge win for the Suns because their offense is going to be so restricted when Ulyss and James and Ulyss specifically, like Brendan said, has been playing really well but it's tough to rely consistently on someone like him as a starter because of his size. And you look at someone like John Wall, who is faster than Tyler Eulis, not on top of being nearly a foot taller than him. It's kind of unfair at that point. But they're going to be able to let themselves out and flow a little bit more with regards to the offense and the point guards. So I think that is going to be the key thing for me to be watching is how the point guards operate and how successful they are in terms of running the offense. Brendan, what do you think is going to happen as far as the Wizards matchup goes? I mean, for me, it's going to be how you're going to contain Bradley Beal. He has dropped 51 points. He's going to be their main offensive production moving forward until Wall returns. So I'll be really interested to see if they match up Jackson with him a lot. I mean, that'll be a fun matchup to see if he's up to the up to the challenge for that. But Brendan, what's your overall reaction and takeaway as far as the Wizards upcoming game tomorrow night? Yeah, they put Jackson on Simmons uh, the other night, and that was interesting. I giving him that those matchups uh, in his in his first season, so I'd assume he get a lot of time on Beal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how incredible this year, but I mean, maybe to to lighten it up a little bit, I'm interested to see if Markeith is equally unable to shut his mouth about Phoenix as his brother was when they went to Boston earlier in the year. Um, Marcus is still up about his time with the son. So we'll see if Keith, uh, same and, uh, see how that relationship continues. That's a little fun subplot every time that these teams play. Now wrapping up here, I let's get a quick prediction out of you guys. If over the next, let's say books out the next 10 games, I've looked at the schedule and I mean, I, I think the last five are honestly pretty winnable for the Suns. Even without Booker, if they have hot games from Warren and Jackson, so to say, they have the Grizzlies twice, the Timberwolves twice over the next 10 games as well. One, they're both home and away. or The Grizzlies are both at home, and the Wolves are home and away for that. So I think they've got about a 3-9 and nine stretch coming. Not 3-9, and nine, I'm sorry, 3-7 and seven stretch. Kellen, what do you think is going to happen? 
Um, everyone's predicting me to say 0-10 after the way I talked about it. Uh, I think they're going to squeak out a win at least somewhere, probably even two, just with how hard they play. Um, I'm going to say if it's 10 games, I think they'll go 1-9. and nine. I just don't really see a way unless injuries fall out. Like, even in the Washington game, I think they're massive underdogs, and that is such a huge deal that Wall is out. But it affects the Suns much more. The Booker is out than the other way around with Wall. So I think they're I think they're going to win one or two games. I think it's going to be pretty ugly, and it's just really no way to properly evaluate this team except looking at how certain individual players play in the games. Uh, but yeah, like I've been saying uh, this whole podcast, I just think it's going to be rough, and I hope they can prove me wrong uh, for the sake of everyone watching and for the sake of the team overall and their development. What about you, Brennan? What do you think is going to happen for the Suns over the next ten games? Think it's going to be ugly, like we both think. Yeah, I'd say they probably take the one against the Grizzlies at home. Just glancing through quickly that I assume they'd have a, a decent chance to win. So, I mean, if we're putting a specific number, I'd say one and nine. So that's pretty ugly. Yeah, that's probably the case. I mean, it, either way, it's going to be some pretty ugly basketball over the next couple weeks till Devin Booker returns as far as the offense goes. And really, the overall entertainment value, we're going to be looking for progress and development. Really, like the entire season before we even started the season, we mentioned that this season was all about progress and development for the young guys. So we'll definitely be seeing a lot with that moving forward over the next couple of weeks. But Kellen, I really appreciate you coming on for this long podcast this late at night. And appreciate you guys giving us some draft talk. And Hopefully, have you on again in your future. Yeah, no problem, man. Anytime. Always fun. All right. That was fun. Appreciate it, guys.